0: Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, M.D., bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, M.D.
1: Yes, 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 yes. This is Dr. Bernie Baitman, M.D., and this is Connecting with Coincidence. Over the past eight years, uh, I've had the distinct pleasure of communicating, communicating with a pair of trees in the forest near Charlottesville, Virginia. I call them the King and the Queen. Somehow they stopped me one day as I was walking by them and we have begun and continue to have a relationship. I've danced with them. They advise me. They help me feel better. And we communicate with feeling and with telepathic words. They like me to sing to them. This song in particular. The forest speaks to me Sometimes through the trees the forest speaks to me sometimes through the trees our guest today will tell us stories like this how nature is far more conscious than we give her credit and is very willing to interact with us Matthew Zilstra comes to us from Plettenberg Bay South Africa he is an integral ecologist with over 15 years of international experience in research education and facilitation of collaborative, social, ecological change processes. Matthew has co-founded several conservation-oriented organizations and currently serves as a founding director for the Organization for Noetic Ecology, aimed at reimagining human-nature relationships. Matthew is a lead instructor for wildland studies and since 2009 has led academic field study programs across Australia, New Zealand, as well as South Africa. He completed transdisciplinary research in 2014, which explored how meaningful experiences and nature connect and support transformative education for sustainability. He has a passion for deep embodied learning and currently designs curricula and facilitates immersive programs and experiential workshops that ultimately serve to cultivate connections between people and nature. Matthew, welcome to the
2: show. Thank you very much, Bernard. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Uh, What you're doing is is really wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you could take the time to join us. Because as I tried to indicate at the top of the show, I am very much involved with communicating with nature. Uh, I've had a couple of interaction with a a pair of flies that got caught in my office. And I got one of them uh, to sit on my hand so I could take him outside. And the other one tried to do the same thing. Uh, But we didn't quite manage that. And you have had numerous experiences and have report numerous experiences with animals of all kinds, including snakes, elons, and elephants. Could you tell us something about those stories, please? Yeah, sure.
2: Um, I mean, there was a period of my life, um, you know, where I was um, quite involved, you know, with rational scientific endeavor and um, was really... um, doing everything possible, you know, to work towards a PhD in fishery science and uh, um, doing all the statistics around that. Um, I mean, my background has been largely in conservation and environmental science. But there was a particular time in my life, and um, I I might start with this experience, because it was the one that sort of opened the gateway for a lot of the other experiences um, that you spoke about, And um, it was back in 2006 when I was finishing my master's degree in environmental science and set to go into a PhD uh, when a close friend of mine, uh, Chris John, unexpectedly died in a hiking accident um, in Iceland. And I was, um, I mean, absolutely shattered. I mean, it's that moment you get where, you know, the the moment everyone hates when, you know, a a friend gets onto the line and, and just sobs out and blurts out, you know, such and such has passed away. And so I um, grabbed my bicycle and went into the woods, and um, I just sat there. I, I found a little clearing in the afternoon sunshine and sat there and didn't really know what to do at that stage. Um, and I guess you just go back to your fallback mechanism. And many of us, coming f- somewhere along the line, you know, had a Christian indoctrination. I just sort of did a little prayer and um, sort of said, "Well, Christian, I, you know, I, I, I hope you're okay." I don't know what I was trying to think with that because. Obviously, he'd he'd passed away, but I I guess there was some part of me that was seeing that there was something beyond his physical life. And, um, yeah, I mean, within 30 seconds of of voicing that quietly, um, three dragonflies one by one uh, landed on me. And I – it it was – it just was – I mean, it was mystifying. And I um, – i mean I, I was bewildered uh for a moment i didn't really know what to do with it and one landed on my forehead one on my shoulder one on my forearm and i just expected them to go off any moment i originally i thought well this can't be you know this is, i mean they're just passing by and off they go and um they stayed and they stayed for the longest time and i um this is back in the days before before selfies but i happened to have my um Pocket camera in my bag, and at one stage I thought, "Well, this is crazy." And I I, I leant in and um, picked out my camera and actually, you know, uh, snapped a shot to sort of prove to myself in the future that it was real as I remembered it. And they still stayed there, and then I just processed. I I, mean, I soaked up the experience, and one by one, uh, they left me uh, eventually. Um, and uh, yeah, I um, um, there was just this incredible emotional release, and it was an experience at that time which 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 actually shattered the the rational. Um, life I'd been living in um I had had an interest in my earlier life you know with sort of the earth mysteries and that there was something more but I'd been really shelving that for a you know um, for quite some time and um I was able to I, I took that experience back to friends and you know just sort of tried to validate it with them and they all concurred that it was quite um it was quite uh non-ordinary particularly because I was nowhere near water or anything like that so I mean that's one of the key ones and and then since then I guess one's alert and I mean that led the way to my um uh, to my PhD research, it was a roundabout way, but I got there eventually. Where um, one one portion of that research looked into these encounters, not just my own, but many others as well. Uh, that
1: I've been I've been writing uh, about the conditions in which uh, coincidences are more likely to happen, and uh, the three characteristics uh, include um, major life changes, uh, and you lost a friend um, uh, high emotion and you were grieving the loss of him and need, which is, you needed some reassurance somehow that maybe he continued. And that was, you, that experience with the dragonflies, uh, confirms again, uh, what I've been able to observe later in your life, uh, years, several years later, uh, you were walking, you were taking a hike and entered a clearing and, uh, another dragonfly, uh, uh, landed on you, and you you left that area and came back, and a dragonfly returned uh, to you. Uh, that begins to make me wonder uh, what dragonflies mean to you, because I like to interpret symbols like this, and much like Jung and the scarab, the dragonfly may mean something to you. I would guess it does. So, what does a dragonfly mean to you? Hmm.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I hadn't, um, for a lot of my research, I often stopped at that there is some sort of meaning without really plumbing it. But now that the dragonflies have happened a couple of times, uh, particularly um, as you alluded to um, actually earlier this year, they, um, uh, they somehow speak to um, elements of the soul for me and, um, I think the soul is an interesting concept here because um, I quite like the inter- um, the interpretation given by uh, Bill Plotkin, which sort of says that it refers to our ultimate place in um, in life or our sort of niche in the Earth community. And in some ways, you know, when we have these coincidences, it, it really does feel like some part of our soul um, is being activated in terms of our place on this life. And so, I mean, um, having the dragonfly this year, I mean, like you say, with those three key things, which I entirely agree with, um, there was this transition point where I was actually going into a solo fast and what have you. And there was sort of a realigning happening in that moment when the dragonflies landed. So it really did feel this, uh, this sort of coherence was happening as I was going and uh, sort of deepening my connection uh, with nature um, in that moment, stepping out of an urban world, going into nature and the funny thing in that moment was I was actually seeing the dragonflies and reflecting again um, on my friend and, and almost sort of, you know, j- joking or challenging the dragonfly. Well, are you? Are you? Um, because I hadn't had an experience like that for so long. So um, there was also that um, this idea that some part of my psyche was, say, reaching out into the world in some kind of way um, so I, I also, I mean, for me, dragonflies have also been a sign of sort of emotional release as well. Um, and, and, this, and this boundary between worlds, a world that's still a bit shadowy, a bit mystery, uh, which I don't entirely understand, but, but certainly speaks to that part of myself. The
1: dragonflies in, in each of the two stories landed on you. Um, and they, that means they touched you. And from Mm. the way you're describing them, I'm going to say touched you in more than a physical sense, but more in a soul sense and connected you to something greater, something larger. And that first one in 2006 with the three dragonflies changed the course of your career. Uh, and, and, And that was that's a major touch. We're, we're, yeah. coming, we're, we're coming to the end of this segment, and we will continue to talk about dragonflies and other animals as we discuss nature and realigning nature and human beings with Matthew Zylstra. You are listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network.
5: Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course.
4: We all know about SIMULTV.com SIMULTV.com, Simultv.com.
3: Shamanic healing is the key to personal empowerment. Why? All four levels of our being—physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual— must be addressed for us to enjoy balanced, healthy, abundant lives. Yet there are few provisions for spiritual or energetic healing. Shamanism, found at the root of all cultures, is a very effective spiritual healing modality. To find quality shamanic healing you can trust, regardless of where you live, look no further than find your Path Home Long Distance Shamanic Healing Program. All Path Home Long Distance healing practitioners have been trained and certified through Path Home Shamanic Art School. Change your life. Live abundantly. Schedule a long-distance shamanic healing session with Gwilda Wiecka or one of her quality practitioners today at FindYourPathHome.com.
1: Back to CC with BB. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and we are coming to you on the X Zone Broadcast Network. And we're talking to Matthew Zilstra about nature and reimagining the human being nature relationship. Why? How are the synchronicities that are nature based different from other kinds of coincidences in general?
2: Um. I just want to start with, um, when I came into this research, um, I guess what I was noticing was that all types of synchronicities were bundled together. Ah. And, um, and I mean, I didn't know if that was a problem or not, but based on my own experiences, and as I started to hear anecdotal experiences, I realized that perhaps uh, phenomenologically, which means, you know, the experience of, um, they may actually be different in terms of their impact on our lives. And so particularly with, with, with nature-based, um, I was interested and had a sense that, it, that they might have more of an impact in terms of how we relate to the more than human world. And a, a lot of, um, I guess, study on personal experiences and particularly synchronicity, at least at that time when I started this, tended toward um, anthropocentrism and I would say somewhat of an individualism as well in terms of one's own uh, individual journey.
1: Yeah, it's all it's it's all about me. It's it's all all about about me. me, It's all about me, and 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 that is changing. I'd like to be able to say I went to a meeting of the Serendipity Society, and in Serendipities, uh, discoveries are made by this one hero who does something great, Uh, but they are recognizing that the dependence of that particular hero on the environment in which that person is acting. So I'm glad to hear you talking about this too. This anthro, this anthropocentrism and selfness got to change. So please go ahead.
2: Yeah, um, exactly. That's great to hear that. Um, yeah. So, like the idea was, well, can these uh, types of synchronicities actually shift us into a more relational way of being? And, uh, and part of this came because a lot of my other research has been focused on nature connectedness and the importance of a sense of connection. So I was wondering, well, you know, uh, how effectively does uh, synchronicity open the doorway to a sense of connection and particularly connection with non-human nature? Um, so, you know, and there's a lot of um, um, literature talking about the sense of separation that humanity finds themselves in. And I've also wrote a bit on that. So that was sort of um, part of the impetus. And um, what I found with these types of synchronicities is that, firstly, they um, were more effective or more powerful in, in um, opening up a sense of nature connection. So I did, um, aside from my qualitative uh, research, I also did some quantitative uh, research looking at, um, you know, uh, people who, um, who have meaningful nature experiences. Um, are they more connected with nature and how does it affect their environmental behaviour? And so I was also specifically looking at, well, people who have synchronicity as a meaningful nature experience, um, do they report that they're more uh, connected with nature? And they were. And they were more, than, um, they were more so than people who just had a, a meaningful nature experience, which wasn't necessarily synchronicity. So um, that, um, um, that was one um, uh, difference. But the other uh, sense how was you, really… How, how do yeah. you define a synchronicity in nature now for our audience? Yeah. So um, the way I defined it was it's a notable experience of two or more physical or psychological events of comparable content coinciding in an unlikely, so no normal cause, and meaningful way, uh, whereby at least one event prominently involves non-human nature phenomena,
6: mm-hmm.
2: um, now, I mean, I understand it's problematic. I mean, if you take this all the way, I mean, firstly, it kind of creates an artificial separation, which we really need to try to avoid. But in order to sort of see our connection, we have to sort of stand apart from the unity, you know, to, um, to be able to see that. And so, I mean, that's one of the paradoxes. Yeah, but yeah. the other thing is yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, people might take it all the way to the end point and say, well, you know, everything is connected. Um, there is a unity. You know, we are all uh, or one you know and there shouldn't be that separation but again what happens is that um we can um you know j- just because of the persuasions of our, of our own experience and being enamored with ourselves as humans uh, we tend to find that our own human experience can dilute nature and you know that there's something about having these moments with nature that really give a sense of humility um a diminishment of of a part of ourselves, and and some sort of new relationship with the other, in this case the non-human other, which other experiences don't tend to do. Very at good. At least that's what I found in my research. Yeah. Oh,
1: very, very good. Very good. That it's somehow it's not just about us when you have an a, an experience like this. The, there are really conscious beings out there. And what I, and what do you think of um, what I described at the top of the show about my relationship with the trees? Because what I've read at least what I've read of yours is mostly with uh with animals not with plants that you are describing things but I I'm sure you have plant coincidences as well
2: yeah definitely uh, and I recorded quite a lot of them um and actually there were a few and uh, that were very similar to what you described where there is a sense um a sense of communication taking place I think um um, there's something about an animal that, that is quite um, primordial and, and we relate to that in a different kind of way also because, you know, we can see ourselves perhaps in the animal there's a, a sense of um, intelligence there which is more, um, more easy to access and more easy to be seen, whereas, you know, with plants and trees it's a bit more difficult. But um, increasingly I am hearing these experiences like yours and I find them um, fascinating you know what I was focusing on with my research was really um, on the experience. So um, you know, um, the idea that there's value in the experience itself. So a lot of synchronistic research was um, would go ahead to causalities or yeah or justifications and maybe say that it's um, it's telepathic. But you know, um, what I was trying to do was looking at the experience and whether it's real or not is irrelevant. But the, this was a, this was a huge epiphany for me in my research was that whether it's real or not is irrelevant, but the important thing is that the interpretation exists and that has a causal effect on attitudes and behavior toward the environment and like how we are in the world. And it also served as a bit of an escape clause for me being in a very natural science context because I didn't have to then say, well, well, Bernard's communicating with trees. Uh, I could say he's experiencing that and uh, whether or not we like it or not, um, that is um, that is very much affecting your being in the world in some kind of way. That's so such a, that's
1: such a very very important distinction you're making there. It's a it's good science what you're doing. Uh, you're not making uh, causal hypotheses as I will in doing that. That those trees are communicating with me is my but that's my experience and I can't prove it any other way but to say it was my experience. So it's a great place to be, for
2: your starting. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm one of the big themes that was coming out like when I was coding all these experiences was people were experiencing it as as some sort of interspecies communication. Yeah. And I mean, there the likes of um, in Australia, there's uh, Monica Gagliano, uh, Dr. Gagliano, and some of the research she's doing on trees and plants is perhaps nudging us towards the idea that maybe these experiences will, you know, soon have enough evidence to suggest that there is a um, a communication taking place, as you describe it. But you know what synchronicity at the moment allows us to do is to say, well, you know, uh, we don't have a causal explanation as yet, but there's something within that that's actually important in itself, and um, and let's be with that and let's stay with that for a while and see what it means to the individual. And you're and you're very practical in your ecological drive.
1: You want to get human beings to have more respect for nature than we do, and what I think you're saying is that these experiences, however they might be caused. Humble us and give us greater respect for nature,
2: and hopefully treat nature better than we have been doing. That's the ideal, yeah. I mean, that's what, um, and that's what you know, um, I hope for. I think we need to all hope for that, and that was borne out in the research. I mean, people were self reporting, so ideally, you would do a longitudinal uh, analysis to see, but you know, um, all indications from what people were self reporting was that these meaningful nature experiences, whether synchronicity or not, you know, were, uh, were having this kind of impact um, on people's relationship uh, with earth. And, you know, um, you mentioned um, um, your experience with flies at the beginning um, of the program. And I think that's very important because one of the things I found that, say, synchronicity as a meaningful nature experience does, as opposed to another nature experience, is that it can transcend speciesism. And, you <laughs> um, a lot of ecologists can bemoan the fact that we all want, you know, our totem um, totem animal to be an elephant or a or a wolf or something like that. So the charismatic species win out. But I also had an experience with insects, particularly with mosquitoes, and it changed my perception of them forever, you know. So it's interesting that when you have an experience like you said with, you know, with flies, normally, you know, we disregard them, um, you know, um, it's, it can have the impact that you don't ever see flies the same way again because perhaps, you know, you realize that they have the potential to intervene in your life in a particular way to, to bring some sort of meaning um, or message or insight. Well, I was trying to help them get
1: out and uh, get out of my office because they were, they were getting kind of tired and hungry uh, having been there for a couple of days. So I, I communicate, I talked to the flies. I said, you, you know, I'm your only way out. You you can't get out of here without me. It was like I was talking hmm. to somebody in prison, and I was trying to offer them uh, some way to get to freedom. And somehow the first fly uh, trusted me enough after a while, and the second fly seemed to have learned from the first fly and jumped, got to my hand faster than the first one had.
2: Hmm. Yeah, fantastic.
1: Yeah, <laughs> thank you it, was, it has changed my ideas they're conscious beings those things and we can communicate with them we're coming to the end of this segment and we're talking about nature and encouraging you our audience to get out there and keep open to the idea that your mind and the mind of the insects and animals around you are interested in making connections you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD on the X Zone Broadcast Network. We are talking to Matthew Zilstra. Doom, doom, ba ba-boom, boom. Welcome back to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. And we are talking about nature synchronicities with Matthew Zilstra from Plettenberg Bay in South Africa. Matthew, you, you, you've done a PhD research project on synchronicity and nature. And um, in your appendix... Uh, you got to some ideas that uh, might be interesting to our audience, some findings that maybe aren't standard but are probably worth discussing. Could you tell us some of those findings, please?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they were put in the appendices. Um, Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, I mean, as I said, I was, you know, um, focusing uh, on the experience and not the causalities. But, you know, part of this exploration is to bring out common themes and, you know, also to, you know, change from, uh, move from a subjective experience to an intersubjective experience. So without objectivity, the best we can hope for is intersubjective experiences which helps us maybe have some idea what's going on. And um, what I, um, a former student of mine um, randomly handed me this this tome of a book by a gentleman called Manley Hall. Um, It's from 1926 and it was called The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Um, an encyclopedic outline of Masonic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicurian symbolic philosophy. And, I, you know, I, I didn't really, I was like, whoa, what's this? Anyway, um, I, w- I was flipping through it, and um, one thing I uh, caught my attention was um, uh, Hall speaks about this idea that um, winged creatures, or there are certain creatures capable of functioning in two or more elements, so either in earth or in, or in air or in water or on earth. And that these were seen as being messages of of spirits uh, between these planes. And, you know, what was interesting is that the Greeks um, also had this idea that, you know, um, that birds were sort of omens of the spirits. Um, and, I mean, interestingly, also here on the continent of Africa, I mean, very few people will be talking about synchronicity. But a lot of people would be talking about messages of uh about messages from the ancestors. So um, w- what I was keen to do was look at, well, how many of my synchronicities actually involved winged creatures and actually, uh, and then also how many of my uh, meaningful nature experiences were with, um, with mammals. And there was a distinct clustering when I sort of um, developed networks, there was a distinct clustering that the synchronicities were more likely to be uh, involving um, um, insects, uh, birds, or any, uh, or maybe some amphibious creature, and I just thought it was an interesting um, an interesting sort of uh, link basically and one one idea that um, that was also put in Hall's book, and which I think uh, Jung and Freud also explored a bit, was that what they called the lower kingdoms of nature, which were less evolved and more simply constituted, could respond most readily to the impulses of the gods and um, what I could also take as that is perhaps if we do look at the fact that there's some sort of psychical transference, you know, um, with these deep emotional states that we activate in our psyche. You know, um, I know um, authors have spoken about how it feels like that the deepest parts of our psyche reach out and sort of grab reality. And I've and I've I've often wondered whether these simple, um, these more, um, these the, the other forms of nature could be more reactive to our, uh, our own impulses. But on the other hand, I also want to make that sort of ontological turn and not say that everything around is just dancing in our own creation. You know, perhaps <laughs> the more and more we find out about animals, we find out that they may also be sensitive and attentive to our own sort of emotions and, um, and, um, and place in life. And perhaps, you know, your mammals and your larger animals can, can pick up on that side of things more easily. So, yeah, that was quite curious. And, um, and it also um, are, are validates you, some of the indigenous um, belief systems as well. I, I think I, I'm trying to understand what you just said. You I thought you
1: were gonna say that maybe some of these uh animals are using us for their own
2: purposes. <laughs> you know, um um I wouldn't rule that out at all. Um and it would be a wonderful thought to think that, to be honest, because you know, everything about what we tend to do is, you know, for you know, for our own purposes, um, and our own sort of uh I guess individuation or um or evolution or becoming a better person um i do have a sense that you know um that animals seek out us as well and perhaps again you know um like your own experience with the flies uh the first one you know um got a ticket got a ticket out of jail and the second one said well you know um i'll come across and and try and experience the same so i mean there are whole realms opening up here scientifically you know that we that we don't yet quite understand but there's more and more evidence suggesting that animals have a whole lot more to them than we've given them credit for
1: oh yeah and uh, and i'm with the trees because uh, that's and the that, trees of course that's, yeah well that's that's my particular area uh, that uh, i i do trees i i do animals too but it's the trees and those trees um talk to me and you could say I did it myself, is to try to help save the, their fellow trees uh, because the one of the, of the big power companies is cutting down trees south of Charlottesville to put in something that is some gas thing that is not necessary—a gas pipeline. It really isn't necessary. It's all for money, and and people are are. Are, are trying to protest against this, and I participated in a program, uh, the Doctor Coincidence Song and Dance Show that I put on, where we were we gave the proceeds to the protests uh, because the trees had encouraged me to
2: do that hmm. that is I mean that's a beautiful story and you know I mean if those sorts of relationships are informing and serving in that way, then I mean they need to be encouraged and you know I mean, a lot of my colleagues in conservation um, traditional conservation, you know, know, um, would spurn these ideas. And and I, and I get it and I understand it. Um, and I was reluctant for a long, long time, but again, we come back to the interpretation and, you know, if conservation, and I hated being secularized like that, but we'll keep it as it is. But if conservation, um, wants or needs, um, people to, you know, to act in the way they hope for, they need to be open to all sorts of uh, relationships with nature. And a lot of those come, you know, um, from an emotive or heart space or a spiritual space, and they yeah. can't be shelved off as saying, "Well, we'll only take those ones and we won't take those ones." Right. Um, if it's helping, you know, to, uh, to bring us into relation with the with the planet, um, we need everything we can at the moment. It's
1: a, and it's a difficult uh, transition for uh, regular scientists to think that the trees might have enough of a consciousness to be able to communicate out. and And I, I've, I've read a bunch of books on, about trees and how they interact with each other and the fungi under the ground that connect them
5: um, yeah. but,
1: but very rarely do i see which i saw a, a description of a, a person in the amazon climbing a tree and having to put spikes in it and and apologizing to the tree for putting the spikes in for what he needed to be able to do and recognizing that the tree was responding to him but he was like he's like an he's like not our western mind so he can do that but i know this i mean i know from my own experience as best as i can that there is a consciousness in many trees and they are trying to communicate with us and and what you're doing is getting us in a state A step in that direction, but you're doing it in a nice systematic way, where you're starting with phenomenology first.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to go all the way and and you know um, be able to validate these things more. And I know there are researchers out there doing that. I have a colleague who's who's doing her postdoc on um on this kind of thing, but a step further looking at this intuitive uh communication with nature and really taking more of your experiences and actually doing things with them to see, you know, um what can we learn from it. So and and I would say even giving them more empiricism or or at least more validity as, as as something in themselves. So that's happening. Um and I um, you know, may go there in the future myself. Um, but at least at this point, you know, and this is one of the things that synchronicity does um, when... Uh, so, I mean, one of the safe challenges with an experience like yours is that I might see you as an external observer looking at a tree and you might be saying, man, I'm having this incredible experience right now. I'm communicating with it. But there's no sort of objective means to validate that. Whereas sometimes, when we have these synchronicities with other people, even, um, with... Uh, with animals somebody else can actually witness it so it can almost become like it's not objective but it become the next best thing to some sort of objective um view of reality so i mean that's why it was good because there's it, um it can become a shared experience it can be observable but at, but absolutely that shouldn't take away the, um the sort of experiences which you're speaking of because they are Ah, uh, bringing us into empathetic relation with the world and respect, and it seems to me, and what I found out in my research as well, is that when we enter nature, with a shift in our consciousness uh, through respect, uh, through reverence, perhaps through some sort of ritual, with an opening um, of an awareness, these experiences are more likely to happen. Yes, very much more likely
1: to happen. Um, the I see what you mean about objective, because I I had to guess about whether I was making it up, talking with the trees. And sometimes they were pretty funny uh, with me, (laughs) um, telling me, well... You think you're talking to us, well, do you think something else is true, which was even a lower probability, than talking to them? So which which do you think might be more probable, says the tree? <laughs> this other thing, or talking to us? Well, okay, it seemed like it's going to be more like talking to you seems like it could be happening, but it's still so subjective. And, and you could take a photograph of the dragonfly sitting on your cap so you had evidence that that dragonfly was there. Uh, you didn't have a movie of it. You would have with our current phones, but you didn't but at least you had a picture. And that's the kind of evidence that good research requires. So this subjective thing is a is a problem when talking to immovable um things like plants, but some, sometimes with other kinds of plants you can see the leaves moving, and a friend of mine much more tuned in than I am, and she could say, she was telling me once those, those plants over there are laughing with you, because she could tell by the way the, the leaves were moving. We're coming to the end of this segment. We're talking with Matthew Zilstra about synchronicity in nature. It's a wonderful discussion. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network.
7: Get both the book and the DVD—a forty-dollar value for only nineteen dollars ninety-nine cents. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's l a m a r z u l l i.net.
4: You have heard of the X Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus five hundred video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well it is. But you can have it today, right now. It is Simultv. Simultv offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Har. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand.
1: welcome back to cc with bb yes i'm your host dr bernie beitman md and we are traveling out into nature finding amazing coincidences out there too matthew zilstra has done a phd on synchronicity in nature meaningful nature experiences he calls them and matthew you have um several stories about elons and elephants and snakes uh could you tell us one of those that really struck you as a part of your research
2: um you mean from other people or from myself e- either either one
1: other people or yourself
2: yeah um um the experience that stands out for me um was actually um one that I recall in detail in my dissertation because it had so many of the elements that we speak about. It wasn't just with an animal. It was also with landscape. Um, it had, um, it, um, it, it wasn't just simultaneously in time, um, but it was, um, spread out over time. And it also was important. Um, um, was that, um, it, uh, there was a series of events which actually had the same thematic content. And it was a colleague of mine who i um, He's now become a colleague of mine, but at the time I didn't know him. Uh, and I called him to do an interview because I'd heard he'd had some sort of incredible experiences throughout Africa with his filmmaking and what have you. And um, I, I, I made the interview. And then when I actually sat down for the interview, he had just had this experience. So it was very fresh in his mind. It happened three days earlier, which was fantastic because from from doing a lived experience research, it was very fresh. And he... He had been swimming every day um, in the cold oceans around here and um, um, he hadn't um, he used to sort of um, do his swimming with breathing exercises and what have you and he had cultivated sort of a dialogue with the ocean and um, expressing thanks but he hadn't been feeling so good and it wasn't really working for him and on this particular day it just uh, everything clicked and he felt this um, this absolute sense of oneness and he felt he was having this dialogue with the ocean just as you were um, ex- um, I'm explaining with the trees and it just felt fantastic and then in that moment um an otter appeared now he had been swimming every day for um for seven months he'd never seen an otter and um, he knew that otters would only come out at um, dawn or dusk usually and he was um, one feeding right in front of him and he you know um, jumped in the water and this other otter then approached him uh field, um touched him uh, felt his body you know uh, for the longest time, and he was just, you know, so overwhelmed uh, from emotion through that experience. And what was so synchronous from him was he was like, you know, um, it just seemed too much of a coincidence that that should happen on the day that he had the deepest connection with with Earth and with himself of the whole year. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So he had these feelings, um and then what happened from them was three days later, he gets a call from his mother who lives 30 kilometres away on the other side of the bay. And she had also had an otter experience. And she'd only just started swimming, you know.
5: Um,
2: and so, I mean, he was, you know, he was like, I mean, what's, you know, what's going on here, you know, there. Yeah. And, and then to further the story, when I visited him for a follow-up interview several months later, we went for a kayak before the interview and we had an otter encounter in the middle of the day. The otter came to the kayak. And so... Um, You know, the ecologist in me wants to know, well, is this normal behaviour? This is a key thing. And what I like about nature-based synchronicities is that that they should awaken that curiosity for us to know, um, you know, so that nature moves out more than just being this wall of green, but we actually start to wonder, well, is that normal for otters? You know, um, is that normal for dragonflies? Um, You know, so we can also start to learn about nature as well because, I mean, sometimes it could be normal. But for this, um, it really, I mean, we both know things pretty well um, know the ecology of the system pretty well and we've you know years since we've never had these kind of experiences again and if they have happened they've happened in these interesting or strange kind of circumstances when something you know has happened so i mean that's i mean that's one that i thought was um was quite incredible just because it involved multiple types of of synchronicity in this one event that's that's joined and you know one one thing is tricky about these synchronicities is that you take one by themselves and they may not appear that wow to somebody, but you take a series, you know, um, that can be very, very meaningful. And, um, uh, and that was the case, you know, uh, here as well. I really like that
1: one. Uh, and I, I, I'm into causality or explanation. I'm writing a chapter for a new book on explanation for coincidences. And this one makes me wonder. I start coming up with pictures about how it happened. Um, and I wonder what you Thought. i mean i you're you're a good scientist but you also are open to wondering and uh, what do you think what do you think happened that there would be uh three otter experiences w- involved with this one person his mother and then with you
2: <laughs> yeah i mean obviously you know like in my written work and what i've researched uh, i haven't gone there but yeah but obviously um, as a good scientist you want to i mean i mean the curiosity is um is awoken in me. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I've certainly been inspired by some of Dean Radin's uh, interpretations here. Um, you know that that uh, also. You know that there seems to be this waveform of possibilities, and that at some point, you know, through the way we cultivate intention and attention, you know, we we reach out or perhaps solidify. One of those um, possibilities in this in this waveform of all possibilities, and when I speak of the waveform, I sort of think of this double slit experiment. You know, the idea that once we observe something, some sort of um, outcome uh, manifests. But you know, I mean that that kind of works okay. I mean, it's still so hard to grasp and particularly when this animal has agency themselves, you know, so we could say the otter, you know, was actually in an empathetic relationship and perhaps the behavior that he experienced with the otter is not that abnormal going back a hundred thousand years. And we were so much more connected with nature, perhaps that happened all the time. And the otter is now saying, ah, you remember, you know, you finally dropped your ego and you remembered your connection with earth. And, and this is what it's like to be with humans when we understand each other. I mean, that's, that's perhaps that side of things, but, the fact that the same symbology in the content should then appear with another otter, thirty kilometres away, and then should then appear six months later—you know—that um, that sort of um, uh, symbology, um, yeah, I mean, becomes becomes quite difficult to disentangle like, well, you know, in well, terms of terms of the causality going on there.
1: Well, I'll tell you my my images of this because I think in like videos, uh, and collapsing the wave function is just a nice idea that. Really takes me very little, guess gives me a little help. Um, that <laughs> it, it just it, it gets used so much to explain things they don't even know they don't even know what the wave function is they don't know where the electron is when it's being collapsed or the photon it's 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 a problem but in this one um, your friend your colleague uh, as he became uh, entered into a new state of awareness and consciousness with the ocean he was one with the ocean he was with the ocean and i've been doing that sometimes too and but not this deeply and in that moment moment the uh, the otter which as you were talking about like f- like flying things ha- the otter can do both water and ground and exactly. they, and the otter came out of the ground to the water or right at the edge of water and ground and that's where he was and that's he was open to everything and the otter for whatever reason it was an otter it wasn't i could play with the term otter but i won't right now but otter the otter was like there with him and maybe saying we are i am showing you and we are part of you and you are part of us because you are and because mm-hmm. he i'm gonna i use this term simpathy to say that people who are closely connected with each other can feel the pain of the other one at a distance. Sympathy, yes. feeling it. And so it can not only just pain, but there's him and then his mother is also by the water and his mother then is becomes part of what he's experiencing and she picks up what he's experiencing so the otters around her can then come out to her the way the otter came out to him because she's parallel vibrating the way he was vibrating. And then when he was with you in the kayak, uh, then you re evoked those old feelings. You brought with them the reminder, and you had it in you the feeling of what his description, and you could then reverberate with him. That then brought the same vibration out that they allowed the otter that was there to say, Okay, you're part of us again.
2: I like that a lot. Um, and I think, you know, uh, this idea um, of reverberation, of vibration, of, of frequency. Uh, Makes a lot of sense, and um, it does have some currency, you know, within our scientific um, worldview as well. And um, I mean, that's 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 actually how it feels like as well. I mean, focus on the experience. I mean, that really is how it feels like. We we feel we've changed the channel. We feel we've tuned in. I mean, these are also the words we use. Yeah. And uh, and it almost starts to feel like that certain animals are perhaps on that certain uh, emotional frequency. And I mean, like the word emotion itself. I mean, is. Is sort of energy, emotion, you know, like it's at yeah. heart coherence, and it's like that certain animals appear when we need them, and they have certain symbolism that you know that really speaks to what our you know vibration is um, at that moment. I mean, yeah, um, I, um, I mean, my own personal experiences and, and what we see in research seems to play that out um, uh, experientially um, we as
1: have, well. We have about a minute left, and my theory these days is that we have uh, maybe in our skin receptors for a kind of energy that's around us that we don't know we have the receptors for, but we do Mm. feel things. I particularly know that from dance, when I'm dancing with people or in a dance environment, but it happens a lot of other places, where I can feel the energy around me. And so I'm hypothesizing that we have uh, energy information receptors that have yet to be defined.
2: Yeah, um, I think so. Um, or we've lost our connection to those. I mean, we really need to get out of our head more and really come into a more embodied relationship with Earth. And by doing that, I think we might reawaken those very senses, which we probably had, you know, um, fifty, hundred thousand years ago. I think in some ways we're only a fraction of the humans we could be. And uh, my hope is that this, th- these experiences open up dialogue into what we could be as humans. Keep up the excellent work, Matthew. Keep up the excellent work. You've been listening to
1: Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Botman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. We've had a great conversation with Matthew Zilstra.